Welcome to C4 Atlantis TechSmarts podcast, where we discuss the convergence of art and technology affecting the creative sector. Hello, and welcome to our TechSmarts podcast. I am Audrey Gomez, the Education Manager for C4 Atlanta, and with me today is Brock Scott of Little Tidy. Um, I'm really excited to talk to you today, Brock, and talk about how um, you guys use um, social media as a creative platform as well as a marketing platform. I think you guys do some really um, interesting stuff with it, so I'm really happy to have you here today. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, people who don't know who you are and what you do, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and and Little Tidy and then some of the other projects that you're working on? Sure. Um, so I'm a Savannah native, but I've been in Atlanta for um, just around 12 years now. I came up for college. I went to Atlanta College of Art and studied sculpture. Um, and then SCAD purchased my school and I ended up finishing up there. Anyway, so I, I finished up my degree and um, I joined the film industry kind of soon after. Um, actually, we kind of see the design first, so I worked um, on like constructing and fixing um, like state park exhibits and things like that. Okay. So, um, you know, they have like the little terrariums or scenes, you know, with like the, the animals and like what would be around the area of that state park. So it was actually cool. You, you learn a lot of things you never thought you would have, like even want to know, really. Right. Um, a lot of like fiberglass sculpting, um, just different little techniques. And we use that for, um, you know, getting bark um, texture samples for like oak trees and pines and things like that. And then we would, you know, use the fiberglass and texture stamp it. Um, so I uh, did that for a long time and traveled around to a bunch of different state parks. And then, then I got into the film industry after that on um, Hunger Games, Fast and Furious. I was working on all those since. Um, six, and then uh, Walking Dead and uh, Divergent, and just a bunch of other random things. And I, I still do that stuff. You know, I'm, I'm a welder. I guess in my like, if, if I could say I have like one job that makes my living, right? Is a metal worker. Um, and so I've been doing metalworking, uh, and then I do my own sculptures. Uh, if you're Local, I did the squid at RBC, right. um, and uh, a bunch of other little sculptures here and there. Lately, doing some um, three-dimensional work for the A3C festival. So uh, that's my sculptural stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, kind of a jack of all trades in a lot of ways. Well, I think is I'm the product of the recession, and like I feel like. A lot of artists that came out of art school, um, you know, at the height of the recession, art is inherently kind of a luxury. You know, it's people don't need a bronze statue. You know, it's like the fiscal fortitude of a country like has to be pretty strong for it to have like exuberance or like some people call it bourgeois decadence or something like that. It's like you know, these little things that artists make, you know, you don't need it as much. Right. Um, so with that in mind, it, I just kind of said yes to any kind of thing someone would ask me to do as long as it had to do with art. Right. So um, because of that, I just kind of like picked up all these different skills, you know, and then once you prove to yourself that you have the capacity to learn, 
it makes saying yes easier. Sure. And I don't, I don't know a lot, <laughs> but I know that I can figure things out. Right. You know, and as long as it's either I can figure it out or I know who to talk to, and I've just been in the city long enough to where I know enough enough people in different fields where I can, you know, take someone out for lunch, you know, or brainstorm or, or hire them on, you know. So anyway, I, no, that's a really good point. Uh, I think I think that's really important. Like in terms of when you're like learning new skills, I think as this relates to kind of the topic of our podcast, when you're looking at things, learning things in technology or learning um, new artistic skills, there's there's always someone, right? Like there's always that other person who knows what you want to know, right? So that it's an opportunity number one to increase your professional network but also to kind of grow your skill set at the same time. And that's so important for artists. So uh, so I'm really curious, how did you get, you know, go from um, kind of creating um, this visual art, which is kind of what you went to school for, to now being, you know, a touring performing musician as well as having this, you know, sculptural career? Um, so I started playing music when I was 12. and. Uh... Or actually, sorry, I started playing guitar when I was 12. Um, I took piano lessons before that, and actually my next door neighbor was my piano instructor, like, you know, for, for a while. And, um, but before that, I was going to, like, a Yamaha. But I didn't really like that because it was too much, like, homework. And then I had my next door neighbor, um, and she just taught piano to, like, me like two other people she like played in the church like locally or something yeah. so and she was like pretty open and i just go over there and like we just kind of make sounds together you know <laughs> and like there was like really loose and like if there was a song i wanted to learn we could do that but yeah so like I, as far as <laughs> playing music I, I you know i've always been kind of a songwriter so i i guess i've, I've always been kind of a songwriter since i've been playing acoustic guitar since middle school and high school and um and yeah, just kind of kept it up. It's not something that I do for a living. I'm, I don't really, I'm not like a cover musician. Right. Um, it's just something that's always been there. Um, but I'm not like, I don't know. I just learned a long time ago that I didn't want to be like an all or nothing musician. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I, I didn't want to ruin what music is to me. Sure. And also I like find as much enjoyment physically making things and working on our projects and collaborations as I do with music. It's just, I need to have a, a balance because, um, you know, we're, we're about to do a six-week tour. Right. And by the end of it, I'm not going to want to play music. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'll probably have, like, all these ideas for things I want to make, and then I'll get back and I'll work on that for, you know, um, a few months and then go back and forth, you know. That's a really great, um, you know, I think a lot of, a lot, you see that a lot with different with creative folks, right? Like we don't just usually gravitate towards one thing, even if that's the one thing we're making a living off of, we are kind of looking at, kind of always looking to learn new skills as you were talking about, or always learning to look new things. And so what I think is really interesting, you know, you kind of touched on this idea of do music and that kind of drives your creativity and and spurs other ideas to make things. And as you make things, it kind of spurs ideas for songwriting and they kind of like coexist with one another. I think one of the things that's been really interesting to me is how you've leveraged this idea, this like kind of co-creation 
in order to build a following. And I, and I just kind of wanted to know how that started. Um, what was the, were you just kind of doing stuff and then people flocked to it? Or was there a strategy in place for um, creating some of the music videos and some of the other um, promotional stuff that you guys have done? Um, so I was just always told like, you could only pick one thing and focus on it, mm -hmm. you know, to like make it successful. But I think that one thing that kind of changes that equation is collaboration. Sure. Um, so with that in mind, you know, I've kind of like, and this is always evolving, but like um, businesses and corporations and things like that, like need to surround themselves with artists and like attach whatever their brand or their product is with music or visual arts or things like that. They don't really have access to that. Like they need to buy that. Like, and the, the cool thing about artists and musicians is that they are like inherently like cool yeah. or like inherently like lifestyle. Right. And um, and the same strategies you would use in a band are the same ones you would use for like any business, you know, except I think you have a leg up because you have the cool thing, you know. Right. And it allows you to ask things of people who are already invested in you. And um, for instance, so like we just did this radio project, you know. There was this radio from the 1950s that my, my dad had given me, and um, it was like a mantelpiece, you know, for a few years. And then I just had this idea to uh, hire my electrical engineer friend to like, rig it up so that it had LED lights in it. It would play music through it and uh, light up like NC to the music. And it was just like a cool little thing, and I was doing this uh, trip through Spain on the Camino de Santiago okay. last September. And I, I brought it with me and then I, we had just finished a Tiger record and I was like, I didn't really have time to do like a bunch of music videos for it. So I just had the idea of like making like a visualizer, you know? So like I set it down and just hit play on the song and then in the shot was like the radio and then whatever the backdrop was. And I did one for each song all right, it's cool. This would be fun to put out on YouTube, whatever. And then my friends who I was traveling with, he's like, "Hey, I'm going to Southeast Asia um, in like a month. Let me take it with you. I can film some more shots for you." And I was like, well, "That's cool." And then he, he took it and he started sending me the shots, and I was like, "This is really cool." <laughs> and it, it like just started. It started this idea in my head where I was like, "I should get a bunch of these and like try to mail them all over the world and see if people can." do this, you know, um, so I went on eBay every morning for like five months <laughs> and it's the, uh, it's the old General Electric P975F transistor radio wow. and anytime I find one that was exactly the series, and I learned a lot about transistor radios, did that and I got all these radios and I had like 10 of them and then I just put out an open call to all our fans and ended up getting a response from like 100 people from all around the world. Oh, wow. And I ended up sending the radios to about 50 or 60 people. And there were 10 at a time, and then I just was basically just acting as logistics. I would send a radio to Brazil, and then there was a guy in Peru, and then I would just like line up with a guy in Brazil, email to a guy in Peru, and then email to Panama, Colombia, or if like people were traveling, I would just give them the radio and they would take it on their trip. All kinds of stories like 
these people wouldn't consider themselves artists, you know? A lot of them were filmed on just iPhones or like GoPros or like, you know, they weren't filmmakers. But I was able to like come up with a set of rules so that there was continuity with everyone's shots, you know? Like you had to have the radio framed at a certain size and a certain position, um, either dead center, off to the left or off to the right from center, and it had to be like forward in the shot, mm-hmm. and then your camera just had to be sat still. Mm-hmm. Whatever story you wanted to tell had to happen behind the radio, and then you just get recorded, you let the whole song play out, and you send me the shot, and like each person sent me like 12 videos or so, and I edited it together until like one music video. But let's say General Electric wanted to do this, they would probably not trust just letting someone with an iPhone film all their footage, you know, there's a board room of people that would want accountability. You know? Sure. So they probably have to hire a production team for each location. And then even if they made it look like it was filmed on an iPhone, like the whole project would be like half a million dollars sure. or something for all of the countries. And there were like 50 countries, you know, that wow. we had access to. That's insane. So, I mean, like, what you're talking about in the corporate world is insanely expensive, but when you, you know, have folks that are invested in your, what your work is and can kind of lean on them because they like you and they know you and they feel comfortable with you, then it's kind of a great way to leverage more interest in what you're doing, too. Well, also, they weren't creating for me. They were creating for themselves because they were doing this trip. It gave them something fun to do, and a lot of them were, like, married couples or, like, this trip meant something to them in the first place, so this gave them some kind of project that they could like really like help to you know add like a special memory to it. You know, instead of just going to Iceland, they really had to think about everything they were looking at. They're like, this be a cool shot. Everyone that did it, like they are invested in the final product, and like we just did the soundtrack to it. So it's not even like a music video. I wouldn't even consider it like a music video. I consider a collaborative project that we just did a score to. Right on. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's, you hit on like kind of the key factor in, in building audience for your work, right? Is getting people invested in what you're doing. And if they feel like they're a part of it and they feel this attachment to it because it tells a special story about something that happened in their lives, I mean, what greater way? Everybody who's in that video can go back and push play and like see the memorialization of that particular event. That's really cool. I I guess I'm you know, and it's something that I learned in the art world, like just being in, in art school. And there's a lot of like installation artists, like um, or photographers, like Spencer Tunick, who does these open open calls for people to come and like get nude, and they don't take this photo, and like they'll just like do like a nude mob, you know. But he'll do a call, and it's like meet here at this location somewhere in the world people fly all over the world they'll have thousands of people and then he gets these shots he is the organizer of this but they are the art right they are creating the art he is just kind of like creative directing it you know i guess so i just think that's the most powerful way like you could hire for like a pr campaign and there might be people that really follow pitchfork or stereo gum or vice or whatever and 
you can get your video premiered on there and like people can passively look at it. But the most effective PR campaign is one that your audience is actively invested in. So that's kind of like a tactic that I learned a lot from this radio project and like I'm going to use a lot more going forward. I already have like ideas for it, but yeah, and um, one thing that I think is is actually kind of exceptional about you guys is that you know typical like band thing to do is you make the record and then you release or you release a single maybe like before the record and then the music video kind of comes out after the record. Um, but some of the videos that you guys have released for the songs on the current, the most recent record, some of those came out like two years ago. So I want to know, were you guys like, when you were releasing these videos, was it a way to kind of, you know, test the marketability of the song? Or were you just like, we got to get this out there? <laughs> like, was there any kind of strategy behind doing it that way? Because I'm interested, since you guys did the, the crowdfunding campaign for your record, was it kind of a way to leverage interest in that? Or was it just, we just have to get this out to the world because it's so great? Um, there's a lot of like tactics for releasing music and like the traditional one that's like kind of been the standard. Um, for the past like, I don't know, 50 years or so, you write the songs, you record the songs, you sometimes, you know, for indie dance today, that can sometimes take a year or two. Right. And then get some music videos lined up, you get a PR campaign, you book a tour sometimes a year in advance, you know. Like when you start an album as you do today, like there's a reason why a lot of people need like a team or teams, right. you know, um, you have your booking agent lining up stuff, you've got your management teams kind of keeping everything together, um, you know, your, your publicist, your PR person, you know, is working all that stuff, your lawyer, make sure you're getting everything, dotting your, your T's and your I's and everything. Um, it's extremely stressful, and if it all plays out right, and all of your pieces are right, and you plan it out, then hopefully it's like, it sticks. So, I guess just in my mind, that just seemed, you know, stressful, and it's expensive, and it's an all or nothing kind of thing, and like, it really burns people out. So, I kind of like the idea of having small mountains. Right. So, little hills, and it's like, You'll do something and like you maintain top of mind, you know, throughout the year. Whereas most bands, they do this and they scream no matter how big the band is, you know, it's like flaming lips, whatever. They like yell this record and then if it's really, if it's really loud scream that everyone hears, you might get three months after you release the record. Wow. And that's like, that's like where it's still hot, you know? People are still talking about it. After that, like, how big the band is, it's like that ball is rolling on the other side of the hill and then they're starting to push it back up. Sure. And that's just how it is, and that's the industry. But I think that like you can use things like art projects and collaborative projects that take a year to do and they're constantly going. So it's like you're constantly existing, even if you're not doing a record, mm -hmm. there's constantly things you're doing you're like top of mind so it's like it just stretches it out you know one thing that stuck out that you just said was um creating these little hills right 
And then it's like, it's not the big mountain that you're trying to climb, but you're trying to constantly climb all the little hills to eventually get to the, to the top of the peak. Um, well, hopefully that your, your hills turn into mountains that you can just run up and down. Yeah, I love <laughs> that. juggling. I love that. <laughs> I have one more question for you. And, um, cause you know you have some really cool stuff coming up. Where can people find out more about you and your work? Um, So I've had trouble in figuring it out because I'm, I'm not really one thing or another. I'm just kind of <laughs> like whatever is interesting me at the time that right. I'll, I'll do it. So if it's a puppet show, you know, a puppet show you know, or a sculpture, I've got like a lot of ideas for public sculptures I'm going to start yeah. jumping into. So that's why I started this creative agency called Only Grid Creative. Okay. So, so that's basically me, but it's also me and my network. Um, of artists and creators in town. So I have a website I'm watching. Um, and. What is the website? OnlyGreatCreative.com. But yeah, music, I have a, a, a solo record out now. So um, check it out. And um, I'm working on some public sculptures and some different performance projects. And just go to OnlyGreatCreative.com and I'll have. Only creative.com and keep up to date with everything I'm, I'm doing. Awesome. Thanks, Brock. Thanks so much for coming in and talking to us today. Seaport Atlanta offers a diverse array of professional development courses for artists and creative workers. You can find our full training calendar at c4atlanta.org backslash training. Looking to learn more about managing business and project finances? Join us on September 22nd for Financial Literacy 101. Visit c4atlanta.org for registration and more info.